0: Thanks. You're excited before I even started. <laughs> uh, I do invite you to um, join me in looking at the text as we go through. We won't have it up on the screen, but you do have the Bibles in front of you. We'll be I'll be talking through um, John 11, verses 1 through 44. Um, I'm glad to be here today. Um, I said to Pastor Erica, it feels like we've already done all the elements of church. So I'm excited to be able to um, look through God's word together and um, to see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. I thank Paul and Margarita for sharing with us, and also Pastor Dave and Pastor Erica for sharing as well. So, (laughs) and they love those shoes. All right, so um, as a quick prayer to get us started, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. Okay, so today's full passage comes from John 11, verses one through 44, and this is where Jesus raises Lazarus. I chose the last section of the story as our opening passage and almost included a spoiler warning uh, for you to give because If you were coming to the story and didn't know what happened after Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb, that passage just gave it all away. (laughs) But it's okay for us to start the story knowing what the ending is. So in our time together this morning, I want to reflect on three things that stand out to me about what Jesus does. Jesus sees, Jesus gets proximate, and Jesus has authority. And I want to reflect on the way that Jesus holds dichotomous postures simultaneously. Jesus loves, but he stays. Mm-hmm. Jesus sees threat, but he still goes. And Jesus holds victory, but he still mourns. Mm-hmm. And I want to close by offering thoughts about what this means for us. So to set up some context for our passage, um, we'll do a short previously in the Gospel of John rundown. <laughs> uh, if anybody watches this, does, that's what I have in mind. So previously in the Gospel of John. Uh, The Gospel of John emphasizes the good news that Jesus is God with us, the Word made flesh, that God has become a resident of the neighborhood and is with the people. John also emphasizes that God the Father is revealed through Jesus the Son, through Jesus' words and Jesus' works, and that Jesus is glorified by the Father in his resurrection. There's building tension throughout John. Will people believe what Jesus says he is. Will people see what Jesus does and recognize that they're seeing the work of the Father? Jesus' words and actions, though revealing who God is, are not met by beliefs by everyone. A common theme in John is the confusion that people have about what Jesus says, their back and forth belief and unbelief. The unbelief of the Jewish leaders grows into attempts to seek his life. Right before this story of Lazarus, so in chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for a religious festival. The Jewish leaders there try to stone him for what he says about his relationship with God, for claiming to be God. But Jesus is able to get away before they can carry it out. That dissipates the situation for now, but things are coming to a head. And this takes us to John 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus. So the first thing that I see from Jesus here is that Jesus sees fully. And this is uh, looking at verses 1 through 16. So again, if, if it's helpful for you to be able to look at something while you're listening to something, you can um, have, the, have chapter 11 open and be following along as I talk through this section. So the story starts with an introduction to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're a family from the town of Bethany. These are people Jesus loves, the text says, and who love Jesus. Mary will show her love for Jesus in the following chapter. She's the one who anoints Jesus' feet with the precious uh, and expensive perfume and an act of uninhibited gratitude and a prophetic preparation for Jesus' coming, arrest, and crucifixion and burial. This is the same family in, the chapter, in chapter 10 of the Gospel according to Luke, where the sisters welcome Jesus into their home, and Martha is focusing on the details of hosting, and Mary is focusing on leaning in as a disciple. But now their brother Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus saying as much. They don't have a direct request for Jesus to come and make the journey to Bethany, but their message communicates many things simultaneously communicates belief that Jesus can intervene, trust that Jesus cares for them, desire for Jesus to act, a request for Jesus to come, and hope for their brother to be well again. Verses five and six tell of Jesus' response. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus sees fully, he sees this family, they are people he loves. Jesus sees their situation and he stays. When someone I need loves some, when someone I love needs something, it can be difficult for me to be still. My love can be frenetic, racing thoughts, anxious actions.
1: My love in my own strength
0: can be short sighted. I can see that something is wrong, and I want to restore things to normal to what they've been before, based on my understanding of the situation. I try to work out what I might have done so they wouldn't be in the situation at all. Even though that doesn't change things, it still gives me a small sense of some kind of control. I jump into action, partially to ease the situation of the loved one, but also partially to ease my own discomfort at feelings that feel too big. I'm learning to recognize my impulse to do this, and I'm learning to wait and to trust. As I receive Jesus' steady love for me, I'm able to lean into this posture more and more. And I'm grateful for Holy Spirit's work in this process. Jesus' love is not frenetic and is not short-sighted. Jesus sees fully. He sees this family, his friends of love, and he sees the work and timing of the Father, the intention for God's self-disclosure in and through Jesus. Earlier in John, during one of the many times when Jesus is confronted by Jewish leaders, This time about the Sabbath healing of a man who was unable to walk. Jesus says in chapter five, verse 19, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus sees what and when and where the father is at work. Jesus' work is not frenetic, but his Holy Spirit synchronized. In this story with Lazarus, Jesus sees that staying two more days, is part of God's work and will be to God's glory. In verse 4, Jesus says, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Yeah. Getting there on time is not the only consideration for Jesus here. There's the whole thing that Bethany is located just two miles from Jerusalem and that about two months ago, or about or a few months ago, Jesus' life was threatened when he was there. Jesus sees this and still tells the disciples it's time to go back to Judea, the same area where Jerusalem is located. The disciples have some things to point out. The disciples uh, are, are kind of a foil for myself. <laughs> when, I see, when I see what the disciples do, I'm like, oh yeah, I get, I get you. <laughs> so the disciples have some things to point out. First they say, do you really want to go back near Jerusalem, because last time you we were there, and the time before that, the Jewish leaders got so agitated at your teaching that they were ready to stone you. Going there again could mean your death, and by proximity, also maybe ours. (laughs) Jesus responds in verses nine to 10 with a metaphor. A person works while there is light to work by, because if they go out when it's dark, they're sure to stumble. The disciples don't see that Jesus still has work to do, and even though there's threat from the Jewish leaders, Jesus will be able to accomplish his work because it is working time. They don't have to be afraid of the Jewish leaders because they are with the one who is the light of the world, who is showing them who God is. Light and darkness in John's gospel are things that represent belief and unbelief. In the opening chapter of the gospel, John says, the word was with God in the beginning and that that word is light and life and that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Believing Jesus is who he says he is, seeing his actions, revealing the Father, means the disciples can know that they can trust where God leads. Jesus is the light of the world. While the Jewish leaders are in the darkness of their unbelief, making plans based on what they think they can see, the disciples can walk in light as revealed by Jesus. Jesus then tells the disciples the purpose of their trip, to wake Lazarus up. Jesus means he knows that Lazarus has died, but like many other times in the gospel, Jesus' words are not understood to mean what, he mean what he means by them. Perhaps relieved at a reason to not need to go after all, the disciples wonder if, since Lazarus is sleeping, maybe he'll get better? Jesus tells them plainly that Lazarus has died. Jesus sees that Lazarus has died, and he still goes. Though it would seem too late to do anything apart from going to offer comfort or support in grief, Jesus knows God is still at work. Though he doesn't fully explain what's going to happen when they go to Bethany to wake Lazarus up, he says that when they go and he acts, the disciples will have an occasion to believe. So Jesus sees fully. He sees the ones he loves and he stays. He sees the threat of returning near Jerusalem and he goes. He sees his friend who has already died, and he will go to wake him, because he hold he's able to hold both, and because he sees God is at work. Second, Jesus gets proximate. This is uh, verses 17 to 37. So first, a little bit about why I chose to use the word proximate here. I'm borrowing this from Brian Stevenson who is a lawyer, social justice activist, and the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative. His advocacy work in the criminal justice system has led him to recognize four steps for working against injustice. I won't go into those four steps here, but I encourage you to look it up because it's good stuff. But the one that I'm focusing on is about getting close to the issues, getting props We can't be part of meaningful change unless we know a situation. And we can't know a situation unless we get close, oftentimes uncomfortably close because of the way proximity affects our own experience as we enter in with our full selves. Proximate came to mind as I read this account of what Jesus does with Lazarus because first, as John says in in chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and pitched a tent in our community. The Word made flesh is God being proximate with us. Also, in this particular story, Jesus comes close, not standing outside the experience of death and mourning because of what he knows he will do, but making space for the experience of others and experiencing it in his own body as well. In order to get proximate, Jesus and his disciples travel to Bethany, which is about a two-day journey. So by the time they get to Bethany, they find out that Lazarus has already been dead four days. Lazarus would have been buried on the day of his death, and then following his burial would be a time called Shiva, which is seven days of deep mourning. So when Jesus and his disciples arrive in Bethany, the mourners are right in the middle of this intense time. Shiva for Martha and Mary, who are Lazarus' sisters, is a time of grappling with the idea of life without their brother. It means they've been wrestling with understanding why their teacher didn't come. And it means they've been demonstrating their grief publicly. While Jesus and his disciples are still outside of town, Martha leaves the Jews who have come to Bethany to mourn with the family and goes out to meet Jesus. She begins with a statement that is short but so full of meaning. She says in verses 21 and 22, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I hear her desire for Jesus to have done something. Disappointment that Jesus didn't come when she hoped. Grief that her brother has died. And also belief that Jesus is still able to do what she hoped. Jesus responds with what I imagine Martha has already been hearing from people who have come to comfort her during mourning. Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. For Martha, this might seem like a platitude. It might seem like it's just connected to a future experience, a belief that at the last day her brother, with all believers, would be called from his grave and rise again. I imagine she had hoped for something different from Jesus, not a reminder of this future theological event, but action now. Jesus does have more, himself, because Jesus gets proximate. I, I am the resurrection and the life, he says. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and the one who lives and believes in me will not die. That's verses 25 and 26. This I am statement is profound. Jesus, close and present as the resurrection of the life, even now as her brother is four days dead, as she and her sister sit shiva. One theologian, one theologian puts it this way Jesus' is offering of himself shifts Mary's belief from the abstract future to the personal and the present. Martha hears Jesus and tells him she believes he is the Christ, the Son of God who was spoken of by the prophets, a succinct statement of deep faith. And she leaves to tell Mary that Jesus, their teacher, is there and wants to see her. When Mary runs to Jesus, she falls at his feet, expressing her sorrow visibly. She she repeats Martha's words, if you had been here, our brother would not have died, and she weeps. Mary's expression of of grief is significant to me. It shows how deeply she trusts Jesus. She's been with him, learned from him, known his heart, and she chooses to express sorrow before him. I honor Mary that she weeps at Jesus' feet. And he honors her in his response as well, getting proximate in her experience. Jesus says that John says in the Gospel that Jesus is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That's in verse 33. One theologian points out that deeply moved carries the connotation of snorting, as in an animal bristling and preparing to take a stand. And troubled can be interpreted as agitated and in turmoil, like the waves and breakers of a waterfall. Jesus asks to see where Lazarus is buried. And when they arrive, there, surrounded by the Jews who have come to comfort and mourn. Jesus also weeps. Jesus sees fully, and Jesus gets proximate. If I were to stop there, Jesus would be offering the same thing that the Jews who have gathered to comfort are offering. Offering care, presence, compassion, comfort, mutual grief. These things are really important, but they don't change situations that seem to be endings. Jesus is the one who weeps at the tomb of his friend, and he is the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life. Our Savior is one who experiences grief and mourns, and who holds victory over death, who sits at the right hand of the Father as our perfect high priest. Jesus is comforter. He has come close to us and feels with us, and he is conqueror. Death has been defeated through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So there will be more to this story. Third, Jesus has authority. This is uh, the verses that uh, Pastor Dave read for us, verses 38 to 44. Jesus, again deeply troubled and bristling at death, preparing to take it on, makes the command to remove the stone covering the entrance of the tomb. When I read this and I see Jesus. This, when Jesus says, Move that stone, I want to say to the people there, like, Y'all better watch. <laughs> that entrance <laughs> is about to become an exit. Martha, though she earlier professed her belief in who Jesus is, doesn't connect his command as an act of the resurrection of the life, but perhaps as an effort to view her brother and be able to mourn. Hmm. She says that removing the stone at this stage will expose everybody to the full effects of death, something best kept behind the stone. Jesus responds in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus doesn't just want to look. He wants to raise. Jesus' prayer in verses 41 and 42 is a look into his relationship with the oneness and his oneness with the Father. He knows the Father hears him and has heard him. They've been in constant communication about this. Jesus knows he has authority and knows what to do next. Jesus calls out to Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, he comes. Can you imagine? Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> Life surges back into his body. His heart beats. His lungs take in air. He can hear his thoughts. He hears Jesus calling his name. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, wrapped in the linen, the shroud of the dead, Jesus tells the people to remove the grave clothes and let Lazarus go. And that's where the story ends. But I imagine what a party must have followed. I would have never tired of telling that story. But the one who was dead came back to life. A tomb whose sealed entrance had become an open exit. Mm. So what does this mean for us? This is not a static story where Jesus did something one time a long time ago, and that's where it ends. And I want to extend that to say, that's true about the whole Bible. <laughs> it's not, this is not a static story yeah. Yeah. that we're a part of, and that we've received, where, where God has done something one time a long time ago, and that's where it ends. This tells us something about who Jesus is and the work God is up to even today. This passage definitely holds orthopraxis, right practice, right practice, as we learn from how Jesus engages in this story. We can, with Jesus, see people with love, seeking to see as God sees, seeking Holy Spirit revelation and responding with the desire that God gets the glory. We can get close to and present in grief, our own and others, and we can carry the hope and promise and authority of our risen Savior, which brings life to dark, dry, dead places, brings God's kingdom here. Empowers us to speak with authority against the schemes of the devil. And John 11 also holds great comfort in knowing physical death is not the end of the story.
1: Because through Jesus
0: and through faith in Jesus, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we will enter into eternal life with God. God's kingdom will be brought here in all its fullness. Mm -hmm. Of this culmination, Revelation 21 verses 3-4 to says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is among the people, and God will live with them. They will be God's people, and God will be with them and be their God. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The John 11 passage also holds something for us to receive. Not only a spirit-sustaining behavior to take on, or a future promise to hope in, but a relationship for us to receive today. Jesus is the resurrection and the life today. Jesus is offering himself. And this is what I want to close with. There's an invitation to receive Jesus as the seeing, proximate, victor over death, resurrection and life.
1: There's an invitation to sit Shiva with Jesus for you or for a loved one or for a community.
0: There's an invitation to come to Jesus in the places that feel like death. For me, feelings that are so big that I can't see a way out of them, these feel like death to me. Feelings like loneliness, rejection, and anxiety. I may become so familiar with these things that I build my understanding of the world around them, as if they're the end of the story. These are my grave clothes, my sealed with stone tomb. But the things, even these things that feel like death, are not the end. They are not too big. The experiences are real. They hurt. They may be ongoing. But we can be fully present in them without fear of losing ourselves to them forever because we hold hope at the same time. Amen. A hope firm and secure. Hope grounded in a person, the person of Jesus. There is new life even in places that feel so stuck. One theologian says, and this is what I want to end with, no tomb can be so tightly sealed that the voice of Jesus cannot enter it. Mm. Uh, Before I pray and before we finish um, our time together, I want to leave some space for silent reflection, uh, for personal reflection as we invite Holy Spirit to um, to highlight words or pictures or things um, that, that that God has to minister to our hearts specifically right now. Maybe it's an area um, where you are experiencing death or maybe it's an area where you want to invite um, <coughs> Jesus to give you eyes to see, um, to get proximate, to speak with, with uh, the authority that you have through Jesus. So we'll take a moment to do that before I pray.